Welcome to Oregon Rooted. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. You're listening to The Dirt Show. Where we bring you Oregon's cannabis culture. Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. And this week we got Good Earth Organics on the show. I'm excited. Unfortunately, you weren't here for this one, but it was a really good one. No, I was at work. I remember exactly when it happened to. It's we searched them out originally at the beginning of the season to use their soil. I had seen them as early as 2016, and I liked what I saw. Mm-hmm. I went ahead and contacted him this year because we didn't have any other plans and uh, talked to him about using the soil. Now they have a like, it's a cocoa peat mix and I had never really done that before. We had never really done that before. Right. And so I was excited to try cocoa outside and it is actually a cocoa that's designed for outdoors. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the intermediate and advanced growers know that the cocoa is really good for, for cannabis right. growing. Uh, so we contacted him and it was been, it's been a great experience from the beginning. They've been nice people. They've been very helpful. They got a really nice place and they have all the right products. Heck yeah. So uh, we've been working with them. And as you know, I've, you know, we started out with enough soil to take care of the plants mm-hmm. and we've actually used some for vegetables and tomatoes and everything came back to life from the stuff that we were using before. Yeah. I mean, we had some old dirt and some of that got transplanted into the Gaia mix. The Gaia is what we used for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is a heavily amended soil, so it's something you want to use for established plants, or at least I thought, but I've actually, you know, where I'm using... We've used it all the way up. Yeah, all the way through. Um, and in fact, right now, we're doing a contest with Mossum Genetics. It's a gentleman, a uh, company that's out of Arizona, and they do auto seeds that are feminized, and he guarantees them 100%. So I've been kind of following him, and he's got some really good solid race uh, races <laughs> yeah strains solid strains and so i contacted him for this particular contest and it's a dosi pebbles cross nice and so you know we got that out and it's a two liter challenge we sure are not in the lead you're funny uh no we are not in the lead but we also don't have lights on it we are doing our natural in our sun. area sun. sun yeah and it's late in the year mm-hmm. we don't have the cycle i mean this is august uh, come on <laughs> Well, we put our shit out a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So I already knew that going into it. I was more of just wanting to try it out. To participate. And. Because um, why not? See if I can, what I can do in a two liter outdoors at the end of the year. Woo. Just to talk about. So anyway, it seemed out to be a good seed. He sent me one seed and it popped. And, and he guaranteed it. Anyway, I put that in a peat, a little peat uh, pod and put that in the two liter right straight into Gaia. And it's just, it's doing fine. So. Mm-hmm. They it's explain not like it's going anywhere else after that. No, but that guy is being a heavy amended soil. You know, a lot of people probably wouldn't want to think about doing that, but it works fine. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit of a buffer there, and then it it'll take right off. I don't think it'll burn at all or anything. But when we have these kind of episodes, I get really excited because I like soil science. And you know, once you've grown enough, you kind of realize that uh, soil is really the most important thing. 
So mm-hmm. you, uh, just like the saying goes, feed your soil, not your plants. It's really true. This year we've had our best plants, yep. um, healthiest, biggest, greenest. We haven't had any, ex- minus the rust, we haven't had any uh, like foliage that's really died away or, right. you know, any kind of nutrient issues. You know, it's been really solid. Right. So really glad that we were able to try out the soil and step up to something that's really high end because it really made a huge difference. And actually, they talk about the fact that you can use their soil for three, three up to three years, up to five years, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. And they explain how to do it. They've got a product that you can do it with or you can do your own reamending. But that cocoa should hold water properly and nutrients properly uh, for up to five years. So we're going to try that out next year Yep. and see if we can't recycle some soil. We have an idea with some 100-gallon po- uh, pots. Yeah, yeah, we're going <laughs> to... We're going to do our own hey, system here. Yeah, and we'll we'll keep details on that. But So this is a good soil science episode, and really there's a lot of nuggets of good information kind of throughout the whole interview. We also talk about organic. Uh, what is organic? You know, I think organic is about the same level as full spectrum right now when it comes to defining it and what people mean by it and stuff. Uh, there's also different levels, which I never realized, you know, how back, how far back does that organic go? Mm-hmm. You know, if you get organic meat, you know, well, what if it's chicken? Was it organic food that was fed? And if it, you know, and then where did that organic food come from? Was that an organic source? So there's different levels to it, which I thought was pretty interesting. So, well, and cannabis technically doesn't have too much organic. They, it can't be labeled organic. Like people want to come in and ask, is this organically grown? It's oh, I see. When it comes to a dispensary, we cannot label it organic because that's food. Interesting. Yes. So, so how do you have to? Is it natural? What what can you use? Uh, no pesticides. Um, it's Omri or um, we can we try to you know, find out. So you kind of describe farms. the best you can. Yeah, describe so the best you can. You but it have... cannot be called. It can't be coined organic because organic is considered food. You don't have customers that come in and don't ask for oh, all the time. organic, you know, weed. Yeah. Oh, clean green certified is the best that we can do. Actually, there we go. Clean green. Clean green certified, or there's one other that I forgot right now. Putting the pressure on me, I don't remember what it's called. But there's another one that has to do with uh, being like certified in the the stuff that's around. But like you, pure dim is that? Yeah, yeah, like pure dim. So that's more like biodynamic. Well, it's just it's just certain ways that it's like the most as you can say, organic way to explain it to customers. Just right. be like, it's pure dim or it's um, or it's clean green certified, but it's, it, it's the best way to explain organic is how we explain it. Which is them. interesting because they also go into talking about listings and, you know, certifications and stuff like that that you can get on soil. It turns out that really some of the real beneficial ones are the clean green mm-hmm. and uh, pure dim and the CDFA, which is a California listing you know those seem to be a lot more thorough and have more value to them apparently omri you know to get on there it's it's not quite as hard as a lot of people think it's expensive but not hard Mm -hmm. so although they are on the listings it's just interesting that you said that and i guess the uh, clean green is the biggest thing for you guys isn't it Mm -hmm. we're clean green certified at talent health club no but i mean in the in the market yeah, but actually, um, when it comes to clean green certification, it is actually pretty spendy. So a lot of farms are not willing to pay that extra cost. Do you happen to know what they have to do to be clean green? 
you have a certain rules that you got to f- yeah. follow. You like no pets in the work in, in the workspace, um, like where packing out is done or like no smoking cigars, certain parts of it. No smoking cigars around your drying flower, especially in the cure room or the drying room. Yeah, definitely not. You want to watch what goes around your plants. Well, yeah, and I there's some guys that'll go in like indoor. Some indoor guys will go in there all suited up, yeah. all covered up, and yeah. then there's some guys you'll see outdoor guys have their their animals, their pets. Yeah, and I, I mean I get the the guard dog thing, uh, but they'll have them laying in the pots and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I it does cross my mind. I wonder, but like this year we had aphids, you know, in Southern Oregon, pretty bad. Actually, all of Oregon. Yeah. And I've seen them on roses and I've seen them on cannabis. And there's a lot of like bodies and poo and stuff on there. So so I wonder, you know, if these guys, what, what's going on? I'm going to really be checking my flower this year, even on the shelf, because I don't think there's a lab test for aphids, so to speak. Yeah. But there's going to be a lot of bug parts. I've it's, seen it. Okay, people. So even if you it? spread... <laughs> Even if you have uh, ease and biocontrols, and that could contribute to the bug stuff that's in the, the cannabis flowers. But mm-hmm. I've seen I've seen a lot of aphids out there, so I just wonder. Now, we do have one plant, the chocodile, unfortunately, which is our trap plant. Yeah. And it sits in the corner, and it literally has been a trap plant for aphids. But, God, the seeds on her, or the, the buds on her are so large. It's so... It's so uh, bittersweet. It's it's like bittersweet. She's sitting there teasing us with, yeah, you're never going to get to smoke me. Now, normally I would have uh, just gotten rid of it because there's there's no seven. attracting everything. It's like pizza next to salad, like you said. Yeah, so twofold. Um, One is it is a trap plant and it's working. So the aphids don't give a flying shh. They don't care about the plants. But flying ant. Yeah, but <laughs> but uh, they don't care about the other plants. They only care about that one, the chocodile. Mm-hmm. So we're, I mean, we're going to use it. I won't use material, but we'll use it for seeding, breeding. Right. And it was kind of just a forced thing. One thing about that in the breeding, I'm already knowing that it's aphid, totally aphid issues with it. So yeah, I'm gonna have to take that into consideration if I'm ever going to do anything with it. But I didn't want to waste it. You know, I didn't want to get rid of it. it exactly. And and so I had a chance to breed, so I just figured I'd breed. But yeah, you're right. The 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 colas on it are so incredibly dense, and it she's did flower really early. Yeah, I wonder what the material would be like. But I I'm just not. I fear that I I just yeah. There's no unless I guess unless you could hose off the plant or something. I don't know. It's quite. I I find it disgusting. Yeah. So we'll use it as a trap plant and seed it out, and it's already has some nice sized seeds. It's gonna have some fat seeds to it. Yeah, hell yeah. So that's kind of exciting. Um, I think, uh, and I, like I pointed out to you that one time when I already apologized that we kind of will probably have a seed here and a seed there in our plants. Well, I already yeah. can guarantee that. I saw that the other day. So. Yep. But it <laughs> it seems like we might be able to keep a hold of the rust. Mm-hmm. You got out there and helped me with that Still this last catch up week. On that one plant. There's one left. I I did that today. Oh. And uh, so those are done, but I think we're going to be able to stay ahead of it. Mm-hmm. I think they look fine and I've been spraying them. Now I switched over from that bacillus to the streptomyces and I haven't tried streptomyces yet. And it's one of my favorites and I found a packet that I had. So I'm going to, you know, finish that packet out using the streptos on those plants. And that's mm-hmm. just another uh, bacillus. Nice. Or it's another myces. <laughs> <laughs> So, 
So uh, it seems to be working though. Um, I keep the nuke bomb, that phosphorus, that salty potassium salt acid, potassium, no, phosphoric, dipotassium salts of phosphoric acid or some shit like that. Uh, I'm going to save that for the the last, because that's that's the nuke. Yeah, it's something like that. It's made by Monterey. It's systemic, it's organic, but I don't know what, you know, there's a lot of organic poisons. Right. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, all right, so uh, let's get into good earth again. This is a really good interview about soil science. It really complements our interview that we had with Kyle from Growth Science. Mm-hmm. So, and it's kind of it's not the same things, but it's it just goes hand in hand. So those two episodes really encompass a good soil science right. uh, knowledge, and so enjoy it. Uh, I did. We really appreciate you guys coming on, and we look forward to continuing working and collaborating with you guys. The soil is just amazing. We love it. I loved it for everything that we used it for, mm-hmm. um, and I really can't wait to keep it at least around for three, four years. Hell yeah. All right. Here it is. Chris Boatman and Kayla Rao with Good Earth Organic. Organ love. Organ love. All right. Thanks for being on the show, guys. Let's talk about what makes a good soil. Yeah. I think there are... Th- three things that somebody can focus on, um, whether they're building their own soils um, or sourcing their own soils, physics, uh, chemistry, and biology. And those are gonna be the the building blocks for your soil and understanding uh, the needs of each of those and how to, uh, and what products, um, specific organic products, right? that you can source to uh, to supply those those building blocks. For example, physics. Um, we talk about water drainage, air porosity, compression of the soil, and most roots of most plants like a very air airy soil, um, very fluffy, vigorous root growth. Uh, promotes vigorous lateral and uh, growth above soil. So physics is uh, the first one. And things like cocoa core and peat moss can provide physics, aspects of physics rather, that are beneficial for all plants and specifically cannabis. And then you've got biology and chemistry. And I think those ones are a little bit more obvious. Um, so, And so that's where, the, in my opinion, some fundamental mistakes are made in, is that uh, people don't focus on the physics first. To have a good house to live in um, before you can build a strong family, if your roof is leaking and, and your floors are rotting and you don't have a front door, then um, sure, you can live there. <laughs> um, but you need a good home. So building a good home first and then occupying that space with good living biology and appropriate chemistry and really kind of minimizing the chemistry. I think it's over overplayed in a lot of ways. The biology provides the chemistry. And so when you create a good home and you put good uh, families in those homes, um, then they do good work. Yeah. So Mother Nature does it best, huh? I think so. And it's easy to take it for granted if you don't see all that's going on in there. With your guys' soul, you guys got different mixes. Mm-hmm. What, what is your goal with the mixes that you do have? Yeah, we've uh, we've got three main blends right now. We're mostly uh, sun growers here in Southern Oregon, and that's kind of driven the development of the soils in general. Our first blend that we developed uh, back in 2010 was Zen Blend. The company had started in 2009. Roy and Barb Leon uh, were the founders of the company, and really it was an excavation company at the time selling some bulk gardening supplies like chicken manures and composts and things like that. Um, they decided they were going to create a soil blend, and that's Zen Blend. And that was kind of what started it all. And Zen Blend was just meant to be a kind of one size fits all soil. 
And, you know, there are certain plants that have very specific needs like blueberries, so it doesn't uh, fit all sizes. But for the most part, you can uh, take it indoors. Um, you can use it in a hydroponic setup. You can take it outdoors. Uh, it does really well in light deprivation grows. And it was also meant to not have a super abundance of any one specific uh, piece of chemistry or biology. So it was kind of a simple soil. And that's kind of what got us some notoriety. We packaged it up into some bags and um, started moving it around to some local stores. And um, the word in Southern Oregon at the time around our soil um, and at the time was also still illegal to grow cannabis. Yeah. Um, so it was hard to spread the word about a good living soils that, that were designed um, for cannabis before it was you're able to say the word and so zen blends what started it off and the the people that had success using it had given us some feedback that time we had a uh, a vice president of the company that was working with roy specifically on the soils and his name was roach and he, he works for another local soil company right now and so he kind of helped drive development on our second soil which was gaia's gift and these guys um, had experience with gardening in all aspects and were knowledgeable and very well read Roach is a uh, uh, very intellectual guy, reads a lot. and um, He's not affiliated with uh, Applegate Soils, is he? He is. He's uh, a good guy. He, he is a good guy. Um, everybody's yeah. Everybody's um, added something to the company that we have here, and he's added Excellent. a lot, you know, uh, but he added value on the guy's gift, and the guy's gift was, was really feedback from the growers using the Zen Blend saying we would like more of or less of. Oh, good. Um, in certain so that's kind of how it got developed. That's kind of how guys get developed from Zenblin. And um, so what we did is uh, we wanted to uh, slow the drainage down. Um, we wanted to keep it fluffy, um, but we wanted to slow the drainage down, and that's hard. When you go back to physics and you're talking about the water draining piece, you need to look at particle size. And everybody knows, I think, that clay isn't great for draining, right? Well, that's because the particle size of clay is very small. It's like micronized, right? That's why the clay around here during the summer turns to this really fine dust that goes through every uh, door jam in every house, and you end up with oh, it on makes your sense, table. Yeah. So uh, it's very small particle size. That slows drainage down. And obviously, three-quarter inch... Uh, rock for your driveway isn't going to hold any water and that's because the particle size is large so it's about mixing appropriate particle sizes to get the right type of drainage um, so we uh, we mixed different particle sizes basically with zen blend and um, added some things that could also retain a little bit of water with sponge-like properties compost for example is one of those things and so is you know uh, mycorrhiza but we'll talk about that at a different time so we're just talking about the physics piece yeah um so cre uh, creating a slower draining soil out of guys gift that was more nutrient dense um that people could feed less i think that part of setting up a a, a good quality farm regardless of what you're growing is to create passive systems if you have to be there touching something all of the time um, then you really don't get the opportunity to fully sit back and take in the entire landscape and really make the bigger plans. And then you miss the bigger opportunities of, oh, that microclimate doesn't work well for my fruit trees or that um, that's too, too sunny spot for my lettuce and it keeps bolting. And sure. when, if you're too close to the plant all the time, then you're going to keep experiencing these little um, these little errors in global thought. So when you take a step back, you, you see the bigger picture and you can fine tune smaller processes a little bit tighter. Guy's gift was meant to be a little bit more passive, retain a little bit more water than Zen blend, provide a little bit more nutrient. And we, we ended up turning it up from a little bit more to quite a bit more eventually. Um, I started with the company four years ago 
And at that time we were still developing our third soil blend and that was designed to be a seedling starting mix and that's cloud nine and cloud nine was meant to pretty much be void of nutrients for those that wanted um, uber control of their food for those babies everybody's got kind of their own little recipe for what they want to feed babies whether it's a mild compost tea or worm tea which work really well um, for for babies people think you can't feed little baby plants but you absolutely can and you should foster them with a little bit of food um but it's got to be mild right yeah and it's mild specifically on the chemistry you can have biology going into the soil and providing nutrients in a slow rate back to the plant so adding worm teas will do things like that because you're getting those bacterias out of the worm castings providing a good mild NPK slow release to the baby and it can handle that. Cloud9 was designed for uber control uh, and for seedlings. And then also we've we found that we have a demographic that used it as a blank slate. So because it doesn't have a nutrient pack and they already have a recipe for success, everybody, everybody does and they should. That means you're intimate with the process. So um, whether your recipe is buying a soil that is developed already or having trial and error yourself um, or, or done the lab analysis work um, to find out what works well and is balanced, it uh, doesn't matter if the end result works. So if you have a recipe for success, um, Cloud9 is a blank slate where you can add nutrient to that and we can develop it into the soil that you want. And it doesn't have to start with Cloud9. It's just an easy starting place because it's got the physics. It's got the good home already. And that's really cool to be able to have a, a base because I hadn't thought about that. Uh, I imagine you could use the Zen on seedlings. Is mm-hmm. it? Too, yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that one of the things, you know, that, and and I want to be clear, like any of these blends can be used in almost any application. And I think that comes down to the gardener, right? Like we design these kind of with a purpose in mind, but I've seen people do some wild things and have great success. And it's being intimate with the process and being intimate with the plant. For example, I've seen people start seeds in Gaia's gift and it's very rich in nitrogen and um, both immediate release and slow release. And they know that they're gonna have a certain amount of die off. But when you think about it, um, the strongest phenos are gonna survive that and that you're gonna have the strongest plants from that. And so when you end up cloning those, making genetics um, from those phenos, then you end up getting good quality, strong plants that are resilient. If you foster 100% of every plant that lives, then you're also perpetuating the weak genetics, um, which is also a problem on the market, I think, and degradation of genetics. Which, uh, you know, it's funny that you point on that because I did do that. I, on, on my seedlings, I ran my, I have two waves of them and my first wave was about 20 some seedlings and to coal from, and I ran, uh, cubes until they showed roots. And then I put them directly in to guys mm-hmm. with not too much issues. There mm-hmm. was a little burn came right back and just went crazy. Is that your most popular soil at this point? Yeah, but by far. Yeah. It's, um, and when you think about it, just the application will dictate that too. Um, for example, I said that Gaia's Gift was mostly designed for outdoor growers. They use larger planting vessels. When you think about a seed start mix, um, one yard of soil is going to fill a couple hundred 72 cell trays, right? So yeah. you can get a couple hundred plants with a yard of cloud nine. The application is still a few hundred plants, but then when you need to plant them out and vet them out into the yard, you need a few hundred yards or so, uh, equivalent of an outdoor soil. It's just by application, by default, it ends up being our most popular soil um, for volume. But then when you look at application for um, and 
run through for a grower, um, we have several people that follow that vetting process kind of that I was talking about. So starting seeds in cloud nine, vetting them out into a small four inch pot or something um, into Zen blend. And then as soon as they are six inches tall with an established root zone, that's pretty healthy Then putting them into Gaia's gift. And then because it's fully charged, it ends up feeding for about the first four weeks of the plant's life cycle. Yeah, and that's about what we saw. I didn't have to really touch them at all for four weeks, you know, and I probably actually went up or went a little bit longer than that. Mm-hmm. This goes hand in hand with large farms, but we did an interview. It was episode 38 with uh, Frost Farms, um, Pete, and he, when he was in Oregon, he did use Guy's Gift. He used it in 100 plus gallon fabric pots on a couple acres and just did dry amendments after, uh, you know, after a month or whatever, and was just using dries. And he said it was one of his best years. So that was a good feedback from, from a large scale, but you know, small scale, it's, it's even better. And I think that when you put your, your effort and time and money into the soil, you save a lot of time, effort and money on the back end. You don't, you're not buying all the nutrients. You're not buying a bunch of different products because you're trying to take care of a cheap soil. Mm -hmm. And I've been there when I first started Mm -hmm. growing, I've had cheap soil. And I, and I shouldn't say cheap soil, just, just uh, not quality soil. And it affects everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, ultimately, that's where we started. We've always had diversified customer base. We serve food farmers and uh, ornamental farmers and nurserymen. And we, and we don't have a uh, we don't obviously discriminate. And because of the organic farming practices, uh, one of my favorite sayings um, was just a few weeks ago that I've heard. And uh, that was by Jeff Lowenfels, um, uh, who wrote Teeming with Microbes, Teeming with Nutrients, Teeming yeah. with Fungi, which is a great book series. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jeff was on a panel and he said, listen, guys, a plant is a plant is a plant. And I love that. Um, it's organic gardening. All plants have have needs and those needs are extremely similar even when they are varied a little bit like a blueberry plant with higher acidity in the soil right Um, it still requires sunlight and water and good home for the microbes in the soil all the same organic gardening practices are going to come into play so a plant is a plant is a plant was a really uh, kind of I've been I've been growing for 18 years and I've been uh, gardening at a high level with food farm and and orchards and things like that probably for the last 10 years um, intensively planted annuals and that's a lot of fun. It's really rewarding. It's, it's the most rewarding thing to grow food out of your garden, um, more so than any other plant. I mean, medicine is great. Herbs are great, but the food is probably the most gratifying thing, I think. And when I did that, it kind of, it's what really gave me the fever for gardening. And, yeah. and that's, what's got me hooked. And so a plant is a plant is a plant. Take organic gardening and apply it to everything on your property that's got roots. Um, and so and so you'll see, you know, Gaia's gift has an application outside of um, cannabis. And that's kind of where I was going with that. Um, so what we've done because of company drive and who we are as a company with culture is we've started sponsoring uh, local uh, garden clubs and uh, giving to Raptor Creek food farms when we have excess nutrients and things that they might be able to use and grow food um, and just letting people know that we have rural resource um, for uh, products and knowledge outside of the cannabis gardening world um, at a high level. Um, in fact, many of us uh, don't even have experience with personally growing cannabis, but we do with other plants. Um, Kayla, for example, is uh, an avid gardener and isn't um, as experienced in the cannabis sector as some of the other employees. So she's got a lot of experience with things in her yard right now, um, fruit trees and um, edibles and things. So um, we really have a, a profound, rich knowledge at the company there. And we want to share that with the community. Um, we want to give back. And so we donate to 
um, all anything when it, when a kid is involved in their learning gardening, I'll donate soil. So sure. um, people say, yeah, I've got a small project. I'm, t- I'm te- teaching kids how to germinate seeds. I'll donate a yard of soil. Um, I want to help out. I want to foster that knowledge in people. Um, sharing with local gardening clubs, I get to share um, organic alternatives. Um, I'm going to be speaking um, at the Ivy Garden Club um, on October 19th. Mm-hmm. Uh, October 19th. Right. And I get to teach um, organic alternatives. And it's going to be um, alternatives to pesticides and, and fungicides and herbicides. It's going to be organic alternatives to um, fertilizers in the soil um, and teaching people that there's a better way. And I think you said it well, um, that costs less. And I think it's important to try to make it passive too. It's, it's more rewarding when you're not um, working as hard. Now, Agreed. hard work is, is important and has to be put in, but. Well, bottom line is gardening is hard work. Uh, it's rewarding hard work, but I had a lot of joy in growing all the stuff this year in that soil. And, you know, I, I actually wonder if I did not maximize the potential of that soil because one, uh, my pot sizes, uh, and two, the, the, uh, results with just the, that minimal amount of soil in those pots. Like my, I got two, and these were just my, my stragglers out front here, but I've got two tomato plants out here in these tiny little, I think those were 10 gallon pots or if that, mm-hmm. I think they're. And they've completely outgrown them. And I just started feeding a month ago. And you can see how they're huge. I mean, I've got it leaned against the wall (laughs) in this tiny little pot. So I'm thinking, man, I should have made, you know, bigger pot, a little more soil. But, you know, it would have been a monster. Yeah. So I don't know if I I maximize the potential of it. (laughs) Well, there's still time to use that. We have a customer who's a has was a foreman for a really a large commercial grow in Cave Junction and has his own personal medical grow in Gold Hill. And his wife utilizes all of his year old used guy's gift and plants the most amazing flowers I've ever seen in them. And they have an incredible pollinator community on their property because she, she didn't even add anything to the guy's gift and it's already a year old. So there's still time, buddy. Oh wow! <laughs> you can okay. turn it around and turn it into something else next year. If you want to turn your soil over completely. Well, and, and I wanted to get to that. So, you know, can you, with these uh, cocoa mixes, can you uh, save that soil and recycle it? Uh, and how long can you do that? Absolutely. Yeah. And then I also know you might tell us about, I think you have a product called Refresh mm-hmm. yep. that you could you actually do that with, you know, incorporate that and sure. refresh the soil. Uh, let's talk about that real quick. With the cocoa and peat based soil, which is, uh, which are po- popular aggregates for the physics properties um, primarily. The reason that they're in there is to provide drainage and air porosity and um, variation in particle size. The microbes in the soil um, are eating all organic matter. Um, you've got um, flagellates and ciliates and amoebas that come out of your compost. Um, you've got fungi and bacteria coming from things like the compost and the worm castings. All of those are decomposers, and that's how you partner with those microbes in the soil well as you understand that they're all decomposers. Some of them are eating each other, but mostly they're eating the organic matter in the soil. And that'll include the cocoa and the peat moss uh, to some extent. They're living on those surfaces. They are degrading the surfaces of those uh, of those fibers and those particles. So uh, after about three seasons of um, aggressive plant growth, things like uh, tomatoes um, that are heavy feeders and things like uh, cannabis that are heavy feeders, um, they have a large root zone, lots of decomposers in the soil. Um, th- they're, they they start to lose their efficacy for being in the soil, the cocoa and the peat. And what I mean by that is they don't provide the same physics um, that they were before. And so what you just 
need to focus on is making sure that your your plants have good um, aeration and good drainage. And that's being a good gardener and looking at your soil. Uh, I think a good test is to uh, dig the top three inches off your soil out of the way, grab a handful of soil and compress it with your hand, just make a fist. And if it doesn't fall apart as you release your fist, then you need to add something for uh, to fluff it up. And cocoa and peter are great for doing that. And they can be reused for about three years. Um, um, and up to five even. Um, so kind of my, my favorite practice at home is um, I'll buy a volume of a cocoa peat soil or make some at home. And I will uh, uh, pull one third knowing that the, the efficacy, the lifespan of that um, uh, cocoa and peat really is um, about three years. Um, I'll pull one third out every year. And that goes from my heavy feeding plants to my, uh, less heavy feeding plants as it turns into literally soil. It turns into literally compost piles of, and soil, right? Um, all of that work is happening in those, um, in the soil. So I'll pull one third out. Um, I'll reamend the other two thirds of the soil. Um, and I'll put a fresh one third around the rhizosphere of the plant. So in that manner, you're really only ever buying one third of your soil needs each year rather than going out and buying 100% of what you need every year for your annual farm or for so you're in your keeping everything on on site as well. So sequestering all of that is really important I think for people especially in organic um, methodologies, you want to keep all of the inputs on the property. If you're going to go through the work of bringing something in, um, let's keep it there. You know, let's not ship it right back out. I think it's uh, an interesting dynamic when people, uh, for example, are on like uh, city sewage uh, uh, lines, right? You're, uh, you, you spend all this money on high quality organic food. You live a good natural lifestyle. And then you flush all of that stuff right back out into a public waste system that's contaminated and riddled with chemicals and things. And a septic system is a beautiful way to compost human uh, uh, matter um, quickly and efficiently and safely. And so having a, um, a, a septic system on properties is really important. So sequester all of that, um, uh, that nutrient. And that goes for everything in your garden. That goes for everything in your lifestyle as much as possible. If you're bringing in um, paper, gro if you have a paper grocery bag instead of having a reusable one for the day, um, maybe burn it and turn it into uh, some wood ash for your garden and, and put that out in the garden. So sequester all of that organic matter. You're paying for it. You're living it. Keep it there. Keep everything on the property so take that one third roll it into your vegetable garden take that one third and um, put it around the base of your fruit trees in your fruit orchard um, put your ornamentals in it um, things they're going to be in it forever um, so keep all of it on site and then replace one third a year and so what we did was um, because that's kind of what we were coaching people we were selling um, at the, out of the storefront there the organic amendments to uh, to revitalize that soil area to refresh that soil area and that's where the name refresh came from so refresh is a product that was designed um, to amend that remaining two-thirds in that soil um, and give it a, uh, a nutrient package very similar to what Gaia's gift had out of the gate oh nice um, I removed um, in the R&D process some of the things that were slow release and were still available in the soil things like glacial rock dust are still going to be available providing minerals for years so you don't have to reamend with that every single time you reamend your soils it's important to have it in the soil but those minerals aren't depleted to a point where you have to add it and because the particle size is small remember the physics mm -hmm. of something like a rock dust then you're slowing the drainage down in your soil too so it's being conscious of the the physics the home and then the uh and then the families inside the biology so um what we do is uh 
we, we added some decomposers back to that refresh product in the way of like worm castings, for example. Um, that's one of the ingredients in refresh. And you get a full spectrum um, feed, uh, micronutrients and macronutrients, minerals, and then a little bit of biology to kind of kick the start. Worm castings is a great kickstart for biology and, and things. And so refresh was designed um, to save farmers time. And what we found was uh, with so many of our farmers being for profit food farms and cannabis farms that saving time meant saving money, right? Labor is expensive. And in fact, in most business models, it's the most expensive um, bill that you have is your labor. And I know that's true for us as a company, for yeah. example, um, but our people are great and we really admire them and um, we want to pay them. Anyway, circle back, labor being so expensive, um, saving a farmer time and money is always great. That's passive. Do less work. Save save some money. So um, rather than buying a bag of bone meal and a bag of alpha alpha meal and uh, this laundry list of, of everything, let us just mix it for you um, and provide it in a single package at a single application rate. It also makes um, the application um more accurate people make mistakes on accident once it's in there um, it's hard to take it out right you dump uh, an extra cup of something on top of it and you know oh gosh it's disappearing so control um, is easier i dressed it up a little bit to have a, kind of a nice handsome npk for the the front end and the middle of of the equations your nitrogen and your phosphorus um, your n and your p increase those a little bit with some of the ingredients uh, just to give it a nice uh, kickstart for the um, the plants, the chemistry, but most of the work's being done by the biology in the soil. When do you recommend putting that in the refresh? Do you recommend like fall before winter in the soil or do you, do you let that soil sit all winter and then refresh it in the spring? Here. No, yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, so refresh is something that we, we, we advocate for top dressing throughout the season. Okay. So if you have plants that need a little extra food and you want to use an organic food for that for doing that, you can top dress, um, scratch it into the top inch of the soil or so, and then just water it through. And, uh, and the most popular, and the reason we designed it, the most popular application is to amend the soil before planting. I right. suggest doing that maybe a week or two um, in okay. front of planting. But Perfect. honestly, the last two years um, using the product myself obviously I, i'll put a little bit in the bottom of a hole before i plant anything mm -hmm. um because it's a mild npk it's yeah. all organic material um and that organic material remember is food for the microbes so you've already created a good home give the microbes some food and they're going to do good work for that plant you, like a week before planting you just mix it in with all your soil it's refreshed then you just plant right in how long is it going to last is it going to be like a gaia where it's going to last a month um, I mean, on yeah. average. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it'll feed um, definitely through the first month of uh, the plant's life cycle on the nitrogen phase, um, the vegetative phase. Um, if it's a fruiting and flowering plant, then it's going to want some phosphorus and potassium, obviously calciums and silicons also um, support lateral strength and cell wall strength. Um, things like tomatoes are going to be really important to get your calcium um, in there um, so that you don't get blossom end rot. Calcium is important for lateral strength and knuckle strength. So people that end up having um, broken branches after storms and things um, if they had sorry I wasn't you're funny uh, man. I, I thought about that too before I said it I apologize but no, 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 you did good. tell me your story and I've been there so many times and so it, it, and calcium isn't going to isn't going to rectify that but no. having a, a good amount of calcium and silicon sure helps yeah sure helps so um, a week before the plants uh, go in is probably ideal, but sprinkling some in the bottom of the hole or top dressing throughout the plant's life cycle is totally fine too. It's because it's not a chemical; it's really easy to apply. And there, you know, people are so um, application rate and label heavy because of the society I think that we're in right now, and um, that they make 
they have all these assumptions about like if I add a little bit too much or not quite enough. But the great thing about organics is that it's really hard to over apply. I mean, you, it has to be pretty ridiculous. And I think that most people just common sense go, you know, maybe two inches of this product on top of the soil doesn't make sense. But, <laughs> but you know, experiment and, yeah. and, you know, just throw a handful. You don't have to get out a cup and measure it out meticulously. And if that's your style, great. I'm just not a recipe guy. I don't cook like that. I cook to taste and you to my audience. With your soul. And I cook, with, I cook with my soul and I garden with my soul too. So Yeah, I, I, I do do that. Kind of anecdotally, we got asked uh, this past summer um, by a customer, um, well, what, do you, what amendments and things can you help with or can you build soils with that are uh, vegan friendly? And hadn't been asked that before and I was um, I was kind of upset with myself that I didn't think about that already and have some preformed answers for that customer to help them it's just, it's not an organic um, organic gardening style that I've really um, delved into at a high level but I super admire people that have those creative uh, pieces and those lifestyles and passions for those kinds of things so we went through our um, nutrient lists that we have um, available for customers and we created two extra columns that were uh, vegan friendly gardening gardening um, pieces and then also um, so we, we highlighted plant derived and um, like things like an ore right that's not a a, a plant um, or maybe it was at one point like a green sand right that's a uh, that's a sand with a decomposed kelp ancient kelp beds so green sand is it, I mean, not to interrupt, but yeah. I'm really curious. Is it is it a challenge to find organic? It, it is um, sourcing organics. Sourcing organics is, is 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 hard. There are lots of things that are considered organic, and I take a step back. Um, let's just look at the semantics around the word organics. Unfortunately, um, it should be a lifestyle and just a way of thought and a way of living. Um, and instead, it's turned into a label. What ends up happening with that is something maybe an organic input, um, but if it's hilltop mining something um, or if it's raping caves of all of the the um, uh, guano that was in that cave and destroying the biome inside of that cave that's existed for thousands of years then it's probably not necessarily organic in the global aspect but they're still labeled organic so wading those waters working through those purchasing decisions and those sourcing those things there are lots of pieces of the puzzle that don't have um, like guanos, for example, people really like guanos and organic uh, gardening, but there's not really a, a righteous way of harvesting back guano out of caves or, or hilltop mining um, bird guanos off of islands. Right. If you like those inputs, and I do, um, you source them from the most conscious companies you can and with as small of a footprint as you can. Right. But there's still some impact. I there's imagine. always going to be some yeah. impact. Yeah. There's always going to be some impact. And I think fully organic. And you were speaking about a farm earlier, which was really cool that uh, they, they were doing like close to 100 percent right. or a really closed loop. As close Th as I've seen. That's that's I think the goal. But I think anything in the step that's a step in the right direction is good for the is um good for the great yeah or the greater good right? sure um so just offsetting your your pesticides with organic pesticides does greater good even if that's the only organic decision that you make in your garden even if that organic input is brought in from three states over and it's got a little bit of a carbon footprint it's still better than using the alternatives or not being able to garden and participate in growing your own food and your own medicines and things like that so there's always going to be an impact i think being conscious about it and being responsible about it and then also not hiding things and being honest with people in yourself um, and looking at things as full spectrum as possible is really important we talked earlier about using um 
uh, uh, companion planting things like lemongrass around your, your properties. And I've seen across the board, it decreases the amount of spraying for all of my growers, outdoor growers, greenhouse growers, even indoor growers have less pest issues when they have a landscape outside of things that um, have a natural pesticidal property or deterrent property, right? It's not a pesticidal property because I'd means kill, but it, they deter, deter pests. So understanding those things is important and understanding also that when you t fully take on organics um in the type of garden that type of gardening you can't do a hundred percent unless you're doing like the garden that you're talking about but anything in that right is a step in the right direction is impacts the greater um communities yeah and that's a good way to look at it fortunately enough oregon is really big on things like organic um closed loop and uh, natural methods, biodynamic methods, stuff like that. Seems like it's hard for indoor growers though to to incorporate some of those methods. Although even indoors, you know, I was using soil, you know, the whole time. Um, I just think that soil grown, organic soil grown, anything tastes better, smells better. Uh, I know that I get compliments this year, especially I got a lot of compliments on my tomatoes mm -hmm. and you know, this time of year, everybody's inundated with tomatoes. Gotta be the soil. <laughs> well, it, it, it's in organics. It, I really believe it. it's just, I, I can taste it. You know, it's and part so of is everybody else that, that eats it. So it's part of it. Uh, take, take us as an analogy, our bodies. Um, you've got more cells in your body and on your body that aren't you, that aren't your cells. Right. So think about the amount of bacterias and things that live on your skin at any given time. And as gross as it sounds on, in your eye and in your stomach and in your, uh, your stomach floor, in your intestines, um, so many other species of um, things occupy our body more than we do. Isn't that strange? We're oh, made up more. And plants are the same way. Yeah. So I think and that's you, inside and out, by the way. Yeah. You know, people think that's oh, just yeah. on your skin, but no, you know, you're talking and guts and yeah. all that. So, it's inside you know. and out. Yeah. And most of those are symbiotic relationships. If you have right. a good diet and you diversify your diet and you're purposely inoculating yourself, right? Eat your eating, yogurt, drink eating, your kombucha. Exactly. <laughs> kimchi. Get yep. that kimchi. <laughs> and that's, that's important when you're doing, dealing with your plants. So making sure that your plants have the good biology in on them, right? And in them. Yeah. Um, and that, that also creates the inability for something to monopolize. So you're going to have less problems with pests, less problem with pathogens, less problems with fungi and bacteria that are harmful to your plants, um, less mold. When you have a strong plant with a strong immune system, just like ourselves, because it's you're supporting those uh, bacteria that are in, in part of that system, um, building the, a healthy plant is the best pest deterrent you can ever have. It really and, is. And yeah. it's, it all starts with the soil. And, and that's not just a plug for my company. No, it's that's true. But but it's. It, starts with the soil because that's where all of your biology starts with that plant especially if you're taking a, a cutting and taking it from a, a relatively sterile environment so if you're starting from a, a clone there's not a lot of biology on that plant and no. it should have a yeah. good amount of biology if it existed in the wild if it was just naturally propagated somewhere right and well as and correct me if i'm wrong i am not a biologist but you know even from seedling there's bacteria and stuff oh, yeah. that's on that seedling or not even seedling the seed itself that that plant you know acquires from popping out of that shell right mm -hmm. I mean, and then from yeah. then on kyle from uh, gross science pointed out that there is stuff inside the plant there's stuff outside the plant and there's stuff in the soil so it's just it's all around and all those are a factor at least most biologists would agree that those are all factors on the the growth of the plant in terms of how the outcome because 
I, like he brought up a point, these endophytes that are, we are talking about outdoor versus indoor uh, plants, even vegetables, and that there's a lot of indications showing that when you subject a plant to, like, like example, uh, regional differences. So the, what do they call that, the terroir? Mm-hmm. Uh, where, you know, you, you can only get real champagne from mm-hmm. champagne. champagne. Why? Because that's where those grapes grow right. in that region. Well, it can be the same with anything else. You're going to get regional differences. You're going to get stuff that, you know, and all this comes from the environment, from the air, from the mm-hmm. soil and all that. And it obviously has a big effect because there are regional differences. So we are talking about certain strains of things where they might have, you might grow a strain of something up here. And you grow that same exact strain clone, say, down in California, you could have flavor differences, smell differences, obviously, phenol. even with the clone, you could have different growths, stuff like that. And so the I guess what I'm saying is those those spheres are everywhere um, and they all have an effect on it. And getting back to the soil and the bacteria, you guys obviously do promote a living soil bacteria fungi all that going on in there you guys have earthworm castings in your soil mm-hmm. so that's where you're, you're you're getting your your start your kick from mm-hmm. in the soil yeah. uh, what do you recommend after that do you recommend people still to inoculate their their soil over time yeah and where do you think that comes best from just like composts and earthworm castings stuff like that or is there other methods methods that people can use to to inoculate that are effective yeah, I think the probably the simplest the simplest methods are making compost teas, mm-hmm. um, and you can do that all, all of all different types, which um, is a very affordable practice too. It really is, yeah. and it, when you're using um, an organic living soil, um, you're actually getting the best bang with your compost tea. I think a lot of people give up on compost teas because they didn't start with a good living soil, so they're not getting the maximum benefit. We talked about those being decomposers; they need a rich organic material to uh, to bloom in and to um, eat and make water soluble and, f- and essentially f- fart out um, <laughs> water soluble <laughs> nutrient right we were um, and, and the the excrement from the from the um, microbes is what the plant is eating um, it's water soluble right. nutrient and right. it's not necessarily excrement from microbes because they are um, releasing their um, their waste through their cell walls they're not necessarily releasing yeah. it in the way that I said but um, it's just a funny analogy so <laughs> so you've got um, compost teas and you can build compost Compost teas to suit the time of the year that uh, that um, you're um, so applying. Like bloom versus exactly. Um, okay. So in veg state, you can add things like a chicken manure, for example, that's got a lot of available nitrogen on the front side, um, and then you're still blooming the microbes by having the compost and the warm castings in the tea bag when you make your compost teas. Um, and compost teas don't have to be so hard either. I mean, people talk and are scared to um, put a couple handfuls of compost in a five-gallon bucket and add water and let it sit for a couple hours. Um, it's not going to hurt anything, you know. Um, anaerobic teas aren't necessarily a bad thing. Now, if you're starting with a bad input and then you're putting that in um, into some water, and you might be able to, you might brew some pathogens on accident, but. Uh, don't be scared to even do a five-gallon bucket compost tea with a handful of compost and in fi- some water. You know, I hope put not, because I've done it. And it works great. It um, worked great. Now adding, I've had no problems. Adding all that extra air, all that's doing is is um, blooming the microbes that exist there to a level that's really high so that they take into the new environment at a high level. But if they're still there in the in the five-gallon bucket, they're still going to take. They're just not going to take at the at the colony-forming unit size that they were at when I gotcha. they bloomed out. 
But when you're doing that, you also um, got to be careful with brewing compost teas and not brewing them too long yeah. um, um, because then you start to get potentially um, things that are eating the good microbes and then they start to bloom. So yeah. there's a good science behind it. But uh, honestly, it's pretty simple. And don't be scared to try anybody. Um, so would you recommend, I mean, out of all that, would you just recommend doing, say it's a small grow of whatever, a five-gallon bucket? Go ahead. Yeah, I do a five-gallon bucket for my veggie gardens ornamentals yeah. at home. It's it's an old bucket. I got the tiniest aquarium pump I could find at PetSmart for like around 10 bucks and two really tiny air stones. They're about an inch and a half tall by an inch and a half wide. They're really little, really little. The pump came with the splitter. It came with the hoses. And then I had the air stones. I put it in there and let it go overnight. And I don't even have a tea bag. I used two pieces of cheesecloth with a rubber band and a twist tie around a board strapped across the top of the bucket. Yeah. My whole setup, including all the ingredients, was probably around $20. And yeah. my bag of compost that I got from the Good Earth Organic Supply is big enough that it's it's going to last me at the rate that I do it. You only need a cup or so. Not even a cup. I think it's a half cup for my recipe for the five-gallon bucket. You know, it's, it's going to oh, wow. last for the next, like, five years. So I better use the compost in other ways. But it's really affordable to do it on a small scale, and it does yeah. make a big difference. Yeah, I, I notice it does. Uh, my plants always, and that, this could be placebo, but my plants seem to perk up the day or so after that mm-hmm. um, I feed them. And I, I only do a tea once a week, but I, I like doing it because they just look happier. Mm-hmm. Even over the nutrients days, you know, they just look happier when I feed them the, the teas. But And again, it's easy. It's set it and forget it. You get your things into whatever your bag is, and then you let it go for 8 to 24 hours. And you can set a timer. You can set a reminder on your phone. It's just as easy as top dressing with dry amendments, and it works really well with those too. Yeah. Uh, so you guys have various composts out there. Do you guys have anything that's? Um, and this is going to sound funny, but I, like I found this stuff the other day. It's made in Oregon, and uh, it's a sea compost, mm-hmm. and it's it's so it's everything from the sea, but it's biodynamic mm-hmm. and um, sea coast compost. Yeah, that's great. That stuff, I... It's a good product. I, I just started using it, but man, I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all, it's biodynamic mm-hmm. and it's made in Oregon. Yeah. All, all the stuff I was looking for. Yeah. So uh, that's what I've been using it with success. I have not had a chance to use any other decent compost. I've used compost in the past, but not as good as stuff as I'd like. So mm-hmm. uh, what do you guys have available you know, I, that you guys are using? I, I carry a, uh, an organic certified uh, compost right now. Um, Something that's interesting about about the material that we carry. When I go out and I source material um, and I test material, uh, visit the sites for compost, see how it's made, make sure that it's being processed appropriately. Compost has got a pretty specific process that it has to go through. It's pretty simple on uh, the recipe, but it does have to go through an aging process and a, yeah. and a thermophilic bacterial bloom process, and you got to heat it up. People see, um, when you talk about a hot compost pile, it's because of the biology in there. Um, it's a thermophilic bacteria, and it's breaking down material and decomposing it and releasing that excrement back into the, the aggregate, and now you've got soluble, soluble nutrients. So when I go out and source our compost, I'm looking for 
um, a certain level of biology in the, in the compost first, because that's one of the biggest reasons we use the compost is to provide fungus and bacteria, flagellate, ciliates, and amoebas, which are all decomposers. So we're going to test the uh, compost for a good diversity of biology and a good fungal and bacterial content um, that is balanced. Most plants like about a one-to-one -one on can on uh, um, bacteria and fungus. Cannabis specifically really likes a one-to-one balanced soil of bacterial and fungal content. So we look for a good balanced compost that's clean. A position that we're in as a company is that we, uh, because of the volume of soil that we build for people, or um, organic soil here in, the, in Southern Oregon, it dictates a certain volume of compost as an ingredient. And unfortunately, um, we've hit a point in um, our company in scaling in that it, it's hard to find the boutique good quality compost at a scale that's being done at a scale that is uh, makes sense for either business. Yeah. And I think and I know I don't think I know that that is a struggle for all soil providers that um, are at the level we are and larger um, consistency from the different inputs. And when you're dealing with organics, you're going to have fluctuations in inputs um, um, one palette to the next one time of the year to the next. When you talk about a liquid fish emulsion being directly from whatever was just harvested from the fisheries uh, leftover from the fisheries so they're removing a, um, a biological waste from the trash and turning it into a product for gardening so it's a righteous move but it's going to be based on whatever was just allowed to be fished out and off of the coast so you're going to get um, a change in the input and so compost that happens with it, ch it changes from summer to uh, winter from the compost providers depending on moisture content that'll dictate what types of bacteria and funguses are really blooming at that time interesting um, and then also when you get to that point where you're buying a certain volume of compost or moving through it you have to deal with somebody that has that available. Yeah. Uh, Seacoast Compost, great company, good quality compost. Um, I've talked to David over there a few times. Um, I've gotten some samples of his material as well. Good quality compost at a spot yet where they're scaled to be able to be a provider for a company like uh, the Good Earth. I can't wait till they are because I will probably bring in them in. Um, so right now I'm dealing with um, uh, compost providers that can provide at a certain yeah. scale. Yeah. And that scale starts to tip the quality um, piece back in the other direction. Gotcha. So um, what I have on site is a good medium shelf compost, but it is not um, a biodynamic, really um, boutique kind of compost like uh, like Malibu's or uh, Seacoast compost. Those are great quality inputs, and I recommend using those for your compost teas. When you're building your soils, um, you can move back down on the quality scale to a mid-shelf compost. It's not going to be um, detrimental to the plant or to the soil's biology to do that. So um, and we've and we've proved that out with um, lab results and looking at what we can see as far as what's living in the soil after it's blended with the compost. The really high quality material versus the mid shelf stuff doesn't change the microbiology package a whole lot. Um, believe it or not, yeah. but when you're building your compost teas, um, because the fungal content and bacterial content is so dense in um, Seacoast Compost or a company like that, um, that's a great inoculant for your soil. Good. So using good those really good ones are good for inoculants, um, but because they can't and they're more expensive too so when yeah. you're talking about price point that's something to be cognizant of um it's it's certainly more expensive to buy a boutique so use those in an inoculating form in a top dress form and then use a medium shelf compost that's a good clean organic material as your aggregate as your building block for your soil are you finding that with some compost you said you could get kind of a mid-range <clears throat> compost to 
uh, amend your soil with. Do you, are you finding though that there, there's nothing, there's no real risks like heavier metals or any kind of um, stuff that you wouldn't want in your compost as you get lower on the scale? Do you uh, know? You know, that absolutely is a risk and okay. it would be silly of me to say it's not. So, I mean, ideally we, you want to get the best quality that you can. That makes you know, sense for your, your structure. Time, yeah. You know, it makes sense for your pocketbook. Um, it makes sense for uh, your your day where yeah. how far do you have to drive? Right. It's right. got to make sense in a lot of different ways. Okay. So, so yeah, um, it is something to be cognizant of. One of the ways that we mitigate and make sure that we've got our eye on the ball on that is we visit our compost facility and do our own independent lab testing on our, on our material. And we also test the material that's in the bin regularly. So we routinely, at least once a quarter are testing all of our materials for biology, chemistry, pathogens, and all of those piece, heavy metals using labs like ANL Labs, uh, Earthfort, and Eugene for biology. They're really great. Using companies um, and getting actual lab results to monitor that, I think, is taking the science piece and applying it to to the gardening sector. And I think that's important. And so you're you're on point. You are at risk when you're buying less boutique material. But if you're conscious about how you're doing it and you're not just doing it because it's cheaper, but you're doing it and it's cheaper and, and it's With adding some intention, yeah. um, uh, still adding quality without putting problems in your customer soils, then that's that's going to be fine. You guys are sourcing your materials, you said from the West Coast or? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, we source as much as we can from the West okay. Coast. Our compost comes from somebody um, just south of the Willamette Valley. But uh, we're, I think, thinking of changing that because we found another product that we liked even a little bit more than what we've got right now. Um, I know our pumice all comes from the Shemolt area. Um, Chris could probably speak to where we get most of those a little better than I can. There's yeah. so many components. Well, there's probably, crack of them. Yeah, there's as many probably, as possible. Yeah, and there's mm -hmm. probably a balance between quality and Mm -hmm. and pri and all that but yeah. um, and but we, that's good and to hear. some things you can't physically source from here like peruvian seabird guano for instance can't get that from morgan <laughs> you don't see coconut you don't um, have peruvian <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so you know uh, cocoa core is um something that we use and it's something that's sourced halfway around the world i was gonna say um, that's probably that's one be... thing that's that's it's a hard input yeah. to replace let me start with that it's hard to replace it um and it's a righteous movement the cocoa shells that we're using um were a trash basically to the coconut meat industry and had been until somebody had the idea of grinding them up and using them as a planting media. Um, so what was happening is these coconut shells that were high in salt were just being piled in essentially the backyards at these coconut plantations. And because they were high in salt, they were killing all of the native plants and all of, uh, they can couldn't survive with all that salt. So um, we're talking like 15 feet deep and acres of coconut shells that were becoming a problem. And somebody had that idea of grinding it up, washing the salt out of it, um, putting a plant in it. And so while we're bringing it in from halfway around the world, it's a trash to that area. Um, and we're cleaning up a kind of a biological dump, right? We're helping clean up some of that and keep that material from going out there. Um, I, I like things that are considered a trash to an existing industry and finding a new purpose for them. Recycle, reduce, and reuse, right? If there's an existing um, business model or an existing program already and it creates um, some sort of trash, let's find a way to keep it and reuse it. And this is one of those things. So while we can't source coconut from Oregon, unfortunately, not blessed enough to have the coconut palm trees here. <laughs> yeah, we can get it um, from companies that have uh, that have initiatives to keep things out of uh, becoming a biological waste site. I know that with like 100 percent or like a cocoa perlite mix or something, 
you, you, you want to have a good quality. And I think there's an issue with like magnesium and calcium binding to it or something. There's really no, with your cocoa mixes, there's really nothing you need to know. You can treat it like a regular, any, like a peat mix or anything like mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah. There's not going to be any kind of issues with the CalMag or anything like that, right? No, uh, we're going to add other ingredients into the soil blend that is going to provide the calcium magnesium benefits. And the reason that people are using that on the coconut right out of the gate is a, a, a buffering agent for pH. Okay. Um, okay. And one of my favorite buffering agents, compost. Is it? Actually works really great as a pH buffering. Nice. Um, it, it just slows the swings. So if you are feeding a high pH or low pH on accident, or if there's a fluctuation and there's a bloom of a microbe or something like that, all of the other microbes in the soil respond by kind of pushing back a little bit and slowing that process down. So compost is actually a great buffering agent for pH fluctuations. So when you're not using living soils, you're missing out on that aspect and your pH fluctuations are much more um, drastic. Yeah. I've noticed that, uh, you know, with organics, if you have a good soil and you're running good organics and you got some uh, good life in the soil, really, as long as you're not doing some huge major swing, it's really not even an issue, which I like. Mm-hmm. Again, goes back to beginners. If you don't have to watch that pH so close, it makes it a lot easier to, to work with. But is it true, though, that the pH can, there can be zones in the soil? Someone was telling me that um, you can have not high swings, but you can have a completely different pH in different sections of the soil and that it's not just all an even thing. Sure. Yeah, we were just talking about the biology, for example, that having some sort of impact on pH fluctuations, right? And certain microbes are going to do better at certain soil depths. I see. Right? So there are situations where that is going to happen with with pH having alkaline or acidic pockets, if you will. The, The biology in the soil and the roots communicate pretty well. And the biology, when you use something like a mycorrhizal inoculant, um, is going to communicate with the plant, what do you need and, um, and vice versa. And here's a little bit of carbohydrates for giving me what I need out of the soil. And so the, the, when the microbes are all talking to the plant and the plant is able to, uh, understand that there are different pH pockets, it can also most appropriately take up the right nutrients in those right pH pockets. I think if you look at, um, the, um, the uptake ability of, of a specific nutrient, let's take nitrogen, for example, you'll find that it's got a, a zone of pH where the plant best uptakes that. Now, it's that's going to be different for phosphorus. It's going to be different for potassium, calcium, iron, manganese, boron. Everything has got a little bit different pH range. Some of them might be identical, but having different zones of pH in your soil is a good thing because there are nutrients in that pocket that are going to be best uptaken by that plant in there. Those, the plants are an elegant uh, uh, communication between the microbes and the plant, and they have this really sophisticated communication. And so they know that the soil pH has got little pockets here and there, um, and the microbes are also feeding it the nitrogen from that pocket if it's best uptaken in that, that pH zone. So living using a living soil is like adding this huge brain, and it allows the plant to deal with those things and actually use them to its advantage. You don't want an oversaturation of anything. And so I think that when people say, um, you know, I'm, I'm always using this mycorrhizal inoculant. Well, it's too fungal, maybe. Um, you're going to get a fungal dominant soil. So have it, when people say, what microbes should I use? I say all of them. You don't want anything really to ever take and monopolize the soil. Um, you want to have things that are in competition. And I think competition is really important when you talk about organic gardening aspects. You want to have things that are that are competing on purpose. Yeah, and it, it amazes me that there's all this whole thing going on, and yet we can sit here and grow a plant with, you know, that rocks and 
insults. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't, it, it's, it, it's almost the difference of like having a relationship and a experience with your food, like sitting down and sitting down with your family and you all eat and talk and have a great time and everything, or just sitting down and getting an IV of liquid food in your arm. <laughs> you know, it's like that big of a difference. What are you guys' experience with your products? Let's flip this around and see, is there anything that you've noticed using the products that you really like as a, as a consumer? Yeah. I wanted to talk about this earlier when you had asked whether Gaia's gift was applicable for a wide range of plants. Mm -hmm. um, I feel that way about Zenblend. I had been using other soils that were organic, cheap, off the shelf, but said they were organic for a few of my plants, and uh, they were just sick. They weren't growing. They were looking horrible, and this was after being in the year, and I was feeding them, I think, with liquid fish and kelp, and then I finally just was like, well, okay, I've got I'm working at Good Earth Organics now. I'll try one of their soils, so I brought <laughs> home a couple bags of Zen Blend, put a bunch of my plants into them, and within like a week or two, they all had like doubled in growth. They were all happy. They were all much more beautiful, deeper green. So that's, that's my favorite of our soils just because it, it really, um, it's perfect for the things that I like to grow at home. Kitchen herbs, flowers all do really well in it. Even a wide range of vegetables, if they're not really high demand, high feeding vegetables do really well in it. So that's what I've used the most. I do have used guys gift this year, um, for, I'm trying to grow a pumpkin in a pot. I'm not sure how well it's going. I think the pumpkin just wants more space, but it, the green growth is fine. I think it's just the roots is a little bit bound, <laughs> but, um, I've been growing a few other things in it as well. And I've had good success with that, um, with the cucumbers and some peppers and, um, just popped a, a rose into some used guys gift last night that needed to get moved because we're building a fence. And I'm excited to see how that goes because so far they have not been blooming in the native soil that they were in. Have you had that native soil tested by chance? Or no, it? it's in a rental that we just moved oh. into a year ago. Like the violets are really happy in it. It's, this place came with a lot of things, a lot of invasive species as well. So <laughs> some of the plants like it. Some of them do too well in it. And for some reason, my roses aren't blooming. Might just be because there's not enough sun. So I've got it in the guy's gift now in a really sunny area. So I kind of have my control group now to see, are you going to do anything if I'm here another year compared to all these other ones that are planted in this other area in the native soil with some compost. I, I gave them some nice compost from work and fed them and coffee grounded them and no go. So we'll just see. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you're pretty closed loop out there, though. I try. Yeah. Yeah. I try to do as much what mm -hmm. I can with what's on the property, trying to dig out the blackberries and the trumpet vines and dandelions. We'll eat the dandelions, but yeah, that's great. I, I gotta say, I really am glad that I did recycle my soil because I, I, you know, I've been using everything from, um, like solo cups all the way up to one gallons. Now we're up to 40 gallons. Um, and I incorporated the soil most of the way. So there was a lot of recycling going on. Mm. Not so much in the, there was a couple of final pots that it was, but along the way I was literally just taking, like I would take four solo cups, dump it and stir it up roots and all. And just, start, I used it all and it mm -hmm. all worked great. Mm -hmm. I did run into a rust problem though, mm -hmm. which is, you know, and I've grown all kinds of things since, you know, vegetables since I was, you know, a young kid, but a lot of different things in my adult years and never have I run into rust. Mm. You know, I might, uh, you'd asked if I had ever had um, issues with rust and I, I immediately said no, but to be honest with you, I, I might have. Um, and I've, I've always lose plants. I think that's part of you know, I was, um, I started, I've started teaching my, my wife lately, um, how to grow different things. And she didn't have much experience, uh, as a child, um, growing anything and growing up in a house that was mostly boxed food and things like that. So she's having a blast, but she's always going, Oh my gosh, we lost. And, and it's just 
and she wants to be able to just have this uber control over it. And it's uh, sometimes um, a perfect storm happens outside and it could be a fluctuation in uh, temperature. Mostly it's going to be an issue with the plant's immune system to start. Um, And sometimes that's because that genetic just has a weak immune system. I've grown genetics that just are super finicky. And if they don't have the perfect situation and they're not babied <laughs> they don't do well right. they stunt they try to uh, uh flip to flower super early because of a shock or some of some reason um but i've also grown some super hardy super immune um strong super strong immune system genetics um a local microclimate is going to have its own yeah um bacterias and funguses fungus uh, funguses that are um uh, prevalent there and each genetic is going to do different in a different area and you know here in southern oregon um, a genetic that i've um, had a lot of success with it's really resistant and you probably have heard of it already um, is, is jaeger mm-hmm. uh, jaeger that's a big is, one in the state it's People a big, just love it and i think that's because it's it's easy it's because resilient. it's got a super good immune system it's resilient yeah. to the local stuff that's around here that there are issues for people i'm not going to say that jaeger is going to do well in central california or up in washington you know with the 502 growers or anything like that i don't know that what i do know is it does well really well right here and we know that with other other varieties of plants you know there are certain varieties of apples that grow best in zones three and four and don't do well in zones six and seven when there are other varieties that do well there and part of that is not just the temperature it is the the microbial life and the uh, things that live there so right genetics and degradation of genetics was something that we kind of touched on before we got on the mic today and and i think that there are so many people just kind of slap happy to come up with the the best genetic on the market and they're just breeding and breeding and breeding and there isn't a focus on the plant's immune system as part of that breeding process unfortunately it's delta 9 thc that's the driving factor for the most part and then yield you've got two things you want weight and you want delta 9 to be high and and that's those aren't always the right driving factors for creating a new genetic in fact i'll I'll use another analogy we talk about people that are that are maybe bodybuilders for example maybe a guy's naturally just like a short stout guy or a a, a stout person um, or gal and um, they're naturally built like that and then they start lifting right and then they get bad knees and they have heart issues and they're prone for disease and and so that's not the right climate for that that person Uh, that's not the right environment to be in for that person and so um, what we get with genetics with plants is we get so many people trying to create something with high yield and and it's potent and those are important sure but the plant's immune system um, is important as well for where you're growing and how you're growing and so if people just say you know what this plant is always healthy it's a medium top shelf producer on yield and and on thc or cbd or whatever you're growing you know hemp is becoming really big here in southern oregon so maybe it's a high cbd strain it's super strong doesn't didn't have any shock at transplant it went right through the drought that i'd missed on watering because i went out of town for the weekend didn't have it just didn't skip a beat maybe they were drooping a little bit but came right back those are the plants that are going to end up being the best for for growing um and especially growing outdoors because we don't get to play god well, thankfully, we can pheno hunt. Yes. But, uh, you know, along with that, have you ever looked at the Phylos galaxy? I don't think so. Okay. So, aside from all this stuff that's going on with Phylos, they have that galaxy on their website. And the galaxy is a map of, it's a galaxy map of the relationship in between all these strains. And so, it really allows you to go into depth and find out not only 
the lineages based on these samples, but truly what's a real strain and what's not or quote unquote oh, strain. Cool. And what's funny is, is you can look up like Acapulco gold. I mean, you got to find the legit ones. You can't find something that someone's just called Acapulco yeah. gold, but you, and, and Philo, you can, you can distinguish between those. So you find a real Acapulco gold on their galaxy. And this thing is considered rare with very little gene, um, manipulation sharing oh, yeah okay. with with the the genes that are out there yeah. so it's 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 really truly a land race is what it is and you'll see that with the Colombian and a couple others but then you start looking up the cookies and the tangies and the and all these other that are popular today uh the gmos and they are all nearly identical hmm. like they're all related like directly so the real difference between these current strains is very, very minimal compared to a real land race. I believe that. So, and you can see it, this is yeah. testing, this is real info. Yeah. And that's why they did that galaxy so they could actually show these relationships. And you know, a tangy is related to every, a cookie, all that real close, like they're sisters, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, whereas these few hand selected land races that are still out there really have no, no genetic sharing with these, which goes to show, you know, we could breed the right way, uh -huh. but we're not, we're just pollen chucking all the same stuff. <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, we're just cycling the same things over and over and over again. And, and because of phenos and stuff like yeah. that, you're able to select some different things. But it's all the same. It's all the same. And, you know, we all of our modern day dogs all came from from right. wolves and wild. And, Good example. You know, and if you, if you want to breed. Talk um, about genetically modified. I know, right? You want to breed, Nature's not doing this. You want to breed or cross um, animals or dogs, for an example, to get a dog with a really big head you want to get a plant with a lot of THC. So you're choosing from the same gene pool and back crossing. And that's all that you, that people have ever done. So they're right. choosing for those two, those two aspects. We know that full spectrum, um, is the best medicine for people. Right. So focusing on Delta nine, isn't the, the, no, the or, or just and, CBD or even CBD. isolate, you yeah. know, that's, yeah. that's farce, but soul's full spectrum. What is full spectrum? Are you using the roots? Are you using the sticks? Sure. Are you using just the flower? Mm -hmm. So what are, what are, is your full spectrum? You know, is it just the full spectrum of the resins? No one's really clear on that either. No. So. And, and you gotta be, and I am cautious and I, I don't want to stand on it too, too much. Um, but you're right though. The synergistic, you know, yeah. the entourage effect is there. So yeah. the labels and words anymore have so much connotation, um, diluted, in, 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 diluted and there's, and they're, <clears throat> you get all these hype, right? People, um, one of the, one of the things that I have a love hate relationship is the word organic. It's, it's got us lots of love and praise from communities. And it's also got a lot of skepticism and control and regulation and semantics with the use yeah. and definition varies widely. And how deep does it go? How many layers are you going to go back? Um, is organic dairy, are organic, organic dairy cows being fed organic um, right. food and is right. the organic food being so for example I'll give you a, just an inside scoop here you can get a, an organic certification on a product that uses non-organic inputs as long as you vet out the inputs um, to show how they're done but they're not certified and then those inputs always have other inputs how far back do you can right. you want to go That's a good point. none of it really is probably truly organic right in this in the in the most righteous sense of the word right. it's also become this kind of silly buzzword 
and you go to the grocery store right now and i'm sure you've seen this and i'm sure the listeners have seen this that you go to the grocery store and the organics section of everything from shampoos to the food that you eat has doubled have the standards of production really gone up for those companies unfortunately the answer is no what you'll find is that they've just submitted the paperwork and paid some fees and now they're able to call it organic so none of the labels are really um super righteous in my opinion washington state organic does one of the best third-party endorsements of an organic product um california if you are uh if you use the word organic in your company name like like the good earth organics um we have to either prove that the product is certified organic to them so we're guilty of until we prove that we're um, certified organic or we have to put on the bag um, in big bold letters not for organic crop use in the state of california you know how california's got all these extra labels and things it's because of words it's because of semantics and the, the splitting hairs of things so we were proved we were we were called guilty of not being organic and because we had the word organic the consumer doesn't know uh, in the name, the consumer doesn't know whether the product's organic or not in California. So we have to. And it causes cancer. <clears throat> and it causes cancer, just like everything else. <laughs> it doesn't cause cancer in Washington. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. I'm going to Washington. I know. Like I, nothing I don't there. want cancer. So, <laughs> so the, the, just the word um, organic has gotten a little bit too buzz heavy um, and too much added to it. People say, you know, to try to fit in, like I, I eat organic or I live, uh, I try to. But are you living organically? Are you really putting in the full effort across the boards, just eating organically? is a move in the right direction we talked about that it is but look at where it's coming from i'll give you another example we got so many certified organic products coming out of other countries um, when food's brought in through ports into the united states it's fumigated and radiated so for uh, if you buy organic blueberries from mexico you won't be able to propagate those blueberries you can't get those seeds out of that plant they're sterile because they've been radiated um, and they've been fumigated at the port so is that organic still i don't think so and what are the organic standards in that other country are they even mirrored to ours so you're buying a certified organic product from a third party that you've never heard of in a country that has different parameters so the word's diluted um the word doesn't have the richness that it should have yeah. and then or the obviously a good <clears throat> definition and then the labels perpetuate that and actually yeah. exacerbate the differences between um, one label provider of organic certification or listings to another. And then you've got people doing it just because of the buzz and they're doing it just for the money related to the buzz. And they're still bringing in dirty products or having, um, for example, don't eat garlic out of... Uh, China, it's riddled with lots of systemic um, uh, um, chemicals. Uh, makes pesticides. me wonder about like CBD coming out of China and makes stuff like that. Makes you wonder about anything. Yeah. So bring it back and do as much as you can on your yeah. property. Oh, yeah. That's organic. Yes. And use as little input as possible. And, and when you do need input, use organic input and start yes. building out the full richness of and living just, an organic life yep. from the base, not just yep. from the food at the top that you you know spend your dollar on by yeah. working at the uh, the oil refinery. Like that's not organic. If you're using your oil refinery money to, to buy, yeah. you know, organic yeah. food, that's so. Well, and that's the thing is, uh, and that's a good point. You know, gardening is actually a good starting point for a completely different kind of a lifestyle that you mm -hmm. can build out from. I guess there's different levels in everything, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's, it's a good foundation to move out. So um, let's be clear about this. It is OMRI certified. It is. 
or is that Omri, not true? Omri listed. And, Omri listed, And, and I'm okay. just going to clarify that for Omri. Um, Sorry about Om, the it's okay. semantics Omri, on Omri that. just has, um, when, when you get their listing, mm-hmm. um, they give you a, a document that lets you know how they want you to use their name in context. Okay. And, and that also means how you claim the word um, and how you claim the, the, the listing. So uh-huh. um, nobody's or, um, Omri um, certified. It's, okay. They don't want you to use the word certified gotcha. for some reason, but you're Omri listed. So it's organic okay. material. Materials resource index listed. Okay, uh, meaning that you can go look at an index of inputs yep. and see that we're in there. Um, that, that we've met some sort of bar of criteria. Yeah. Omri isn't necessarily the most in depth listing that you can get. So we're working on other ones. That I heard are, it's one of the most expensive. It's one of the most expensive. Um, it's also confusing for people and it takes a lot of time for a small business. It took us eight months on our fastest and a little over a year on our slowest listing to, to get those things vetted out through them. And they're a for-profit company. So getting their listing, they're not in it for the feels of using the word organic they're in no, it for making a profit and they have a business model that they have to that they have to f- adhere to which is making money and reporting to a board of directors that is expects a good return um so in well, that, i imagine they do know that people look for that oh There's sure people that will just that's they go in there they look for that okay well it's the label it. that you yeah. know at least gets you started in the right direction and and, I, and let me not beat them up too much because they they do have something that's founded in mm. um a step in the right direction sure. we keep talking about that and so they did they are doing something that's that's good but for example we've got some omri listings on some of our soils right but they've never visited our site so that is a disconnect for me i would like them to come out to the site just so that they know that the listing that they're giving to giving to our products is actually what's happening but there's no enforcement side of it so as long as you submit some clean paperwork and write them a check then they give you the listing so what i prefer is if a third-party endorser is going to actually do the full interview the full yeah. application come yeah. out and see the material right. and say so this is the coco core okay cool and this is the worm right. casting mm-hmm. uh, material great and actually vet the products out with more effort that would feel more uh, uh rich to me i know that there are people playing games of not being truthful on their um, applications for getting these organic listings and because there isn't necessarily an enforcement side that comes out and investigates or tests material to third party, gets a sample and sends it to a lab to uh, make sure that it is what it is, that there are people that are just doing it for the money and for the buzz of it. Also, there's a little other, there's another piece with, with organic listings and organic certifications, if somebody allows you to use the word certification, um, in that they each have their own sets of sub rules um, about what things can be called and what they can't mm-hmm. be called. So we're playing through all kinds of things of not being able to call back high fos back guano that anymore we now have to call it mineralized rock phosphate um and it's it's a long story but it all comes down to black and white lettering with gray area for interpretation but somebody reading it black and white yeah um organics has a lot of gray area oh, i'm and sure we talked about that earlier and kind of at a surface level but so you've got each of these different companies requiring different ways to use certain words and it makes having a label on a bag extremely difficult it makes you not want to put a label on a bag anymore because they each want to call it something different and now you have to appease all these different parties we're doing it because we want to show our consumer base that that we can navigate those waters and then it's worth it for us there's value add yeah. there still even 
even if yeah. the company doesn't have the same baseline or par line as the next one, if we get multiple, then people say, you know what, they've really ran the gamut of, of uh, showing five different groups mm-hmm. that they are um, of a high quality input uh, material. So we're working, th- uh, we've done Omri, we're working with CDFA to do the California Department of Food and Ag organic listing. Right now we've got applications out for Clean Green certified um, materials. Clean Green certified is one of the better ones, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's not as well known. Um, we know Oregon Tilth, right, on our food and yeah. stuff like that. We know that's a, that's a, yeah good quality measure that's a good movement but it's not available right now for the cannabis sector so um believe it or not the oregonians know know more about the clean green i mean it's getting more known Mm -hmm. for for us here so good that helps me as you know as a business know that there's value in that for my consumer that might be buying that term gets thrown a lot uh, uh, thrown around a lot in the dispensary world good so it should yeah (laughs) <laughs> right, right. But but so does the CDFA, though, because obviously California is where everything goes bad. So. <laughs> All right. Well, with that said, I really appreciate it, guys. Uh, do you guys want to share how people can find your product, where to go? I know when I came out, you were out in Cave Junction. And I do want to say thank you. It, too often, a lot of places that sell supplies for gardening and stuff are either really big and corporate or um, even if they're small, they tend to be just really business oriented. And I understand that felt really good coming into your guys' place though, because it really felt like more of like a, like I belong there. People were really knowledgeable. So that's really good stuff. So where can we find you? Cave Junction, 30088 Redwood Highway. We're a little bit south of Cave Junction proper, on right on the main highway. And then we also have a second store in Murphy. The address is a 6891 Williams Highway. It's technically Grants Pass address, but it's just a little south of the bridge. Nice, big, pretty wood, big wood pillars on the front of the building. I was going to say, I think that, yeah, under Google, it has a Grants Pass address, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, Murphy's unincorporated, okay. um, but anybody who's a local is like, that's not Grants Pass, that's Murphy. So we turn, try to use both of the words and the addresses. And then we're online too at thegoodearthorganics.com. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook. And, and you're both active. Right you guys got a tip of the week, which I like. Mm-hmm. That's me putting those up every week. It's great, you know, because it goes it goes right back to the fact that uh, you can be doing something for a long, long time and think you know it all. And forget some, the basics. <laughs> some little basic, something simple, rule of thumb even, will just, you know. I know you guys do a lot of work in the community. You were mentioning that mm-hmm. you guys are involved with things. Um, do you got anything coming up that you want to... I know that you have the education. You said... Yeah, he's got the gig at the Illinois Valley Garden Club coming up on October 19th. Their club meets at 1 o'clock. I think it's on Tuesdays. Um, I think it's a Tuesday usually. And then we just um, set up a donation for the Illinois Valley High School's football um, team. They're having a benefit auction at the Smoke Jumper Museum in Cave Junction nice. on September 7th. So we donated a yard of soil for their auction. Got a couple tickets for that, so we'll be able to attend and see the function and get some pictures and hopefully talk to some students who will be there about what their plans are. If they're, you know, are they just doing football in high school? Or are they hoping to get a writer scholarship? Or uh, we a couple times a year do a, a trash cleanup on Redwood Highway too. Saw that. Just got that good done a couple you. weeks That's ago. It is, it is scary and hairy and super necessary. The amount of <laughs> crazy trash we find out there cigarette butts included that's you think Mm. in an area this fire prone the amount of cigarette butts would go down but it never does so we're glad to get out there and help at least clean up the debris even if it didn't start a fire (laughs) that's really cool that you do that because um you know i I see so many places that the side of the road just looks so (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, 
I wish every area were adopted. I mean, because it needs it. It needs hands. Everywhere needs hands. And it's so easy just to drive by it and forget that this is your community and this is your home. And, and you know, there are those of, there's two kinds of people, people who make messes and people who clean them up. Yeah. Yeah. And I come from a big climbing background. Like mm -hmm. I, I've spent um, probably over a decade rock climbing until I hurt myself too much in, in our groups. I loved it because in our communities, our little communities and groups that we all kind of hung out in, it was a just an accepted thing that you always took out more than you yep. brought in period. Yep. doesn't matter if you're camping, hiking, rock yep. climbing, or walking down the sidewalk with your dogs. It just, mm -hmm. you always at Bring least took bag. out a little <laughs> bit more than you brought in. And it was a great rule to live by. And I pass that on to my kids and my kids, I see them. They sometimes get more frustrated than I do. They're like, why do they look at this mess? I got to mm. pick this up. Mm -hmm. Good job, kids, so. <laughs> That's awesome. It is awesome. Well, I was just going to touch on the community yeah. uh, service piece um <clears throat> i grew up in cave junction went, went to high school and graduated high school there and participated at a really high level in community service in high school uh, mostly with the driving force being scholarships for college but it, i found so much fulfillment and gratification in volunteering uh, for all these different groups to do these little projects even if it's just two hours here or an hour there to help a group out or help a cause out felt really good and i started to really appreciate the feeling on top of the ability to get some free money for college. Um, I applied for scholarships and got a full ride to Oregon State based on mm -hmm. academics and on community service. That was one of the big driving pieces in my in my scholarship package was how much I'd been volunteering. I continued that into college and um, have worked for a few companies since then. Some of those companies had a cool culture and had community service events orchestrated for people to go participate in as employees and or um, ways to donate as an employee or, or, or part, just be participate, just participate in the community. One of the things that I saw with uh, the growing cannabis scene here in Southern Oregon was that nobody was giving back. And you see all these other industries where people um, make money and they give back and they're not making as much money. And we see these people making tons of money off of this uh, hemp and cannabis sector. And there are so few people giving back. Education is one of the ways that I think we give back in a big way. Mm -hmm. And it's not just cannabis. It's just organics and it's just lifestyle. Um, the tip of the week rarely has to do with cannabis, if ever. It's usually just a regular gardening tip, which is great. We're teaching people and providing knowledge. So education is one way to do good community service work. Work, teaching people. The other thing is to be to participate in the community events. So um, when I started with managing the company here, we started offering each of our staff members eight paid hours a year, a full day to volunteer for anything that they wanted to. That was a community service event, nonprofit, a charity, whatever it was. If you were passionate about it and wanted to participate, all I asked is that they would rep our company while we're there so that people see us in the community and see somebody that is making money from the cannabis and hemp sector and giving back to the community. The roadside pickups, um, the donations to the schools for their gardens, the donations of nutrients to the community food gardens, the sponsorship of the local gardening clubs for beautification of our towns and townships uh, and cities, um, the volunteering on the t-ball teams, the volunteering at the libraries. That's me. <laughs> Two years later, and, I took and, advantage of the company-sponsored hours <laughs> and then was like, I don't want to stop. And I've, I've been doing it for two years now. Nice. And, nice. and that persists. We see people yeah. doing this and it's, it's fun. When I tell other companies about this, they go, wow, that's a really neat idea. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I got I to gotta give credit to um, U.S. Bank for the idea. Honestly, when I was working for U.S. Bank, they're the ones 
ones that sponsored eight hours of community service. So all of the um, growers out there that are listening or um, hearing the podcast today, if you have a business that's making money off the cannabis sector, please help lower those stigmas by um, being part of your community. Find a way to donate to a scholarship. Find a way to uh, help a 4-H kid get his animal to the fair. Find um, a local highway to adopt and pick up that's close. It's also good marketing for your company. So you get the feels from it, but you also get some marketing kick from it. It's part of the initiative of bringing this plant and sharing the love of this plant at the highest level. It will drop walls faster than anything else when people see you giving that money back to people in need, that time back to people. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. In fact, in the last couple episodes, I've mentioned over and over again uh, that that's that's one of my biggest things I would like to see people do is to... um, especially the bigger companies that are making the, we got a lot of big farms, especially up North and they have the opportunity to do that, to give back in all kinds of ways, mm-hmm. whether it's monetarily or, um, time. <laughs> yeah. Anything, mm-hmm. uh, where I came from, especially when this situation was black market, it was a tighter community. Uh, and I'd like to see that continue where we, now that we have all this money coming in, we can, now take those profits and, and put them back in. But I hope that people like you folks and, and everybody else that's helping can be leaders in that and people can jump aboard of that. So really, I guess what I'm saying is well done. Thanks. Thank you. And there are people that appreciate out there. Anyway, uh, so we know where to find you and we know where to go. Thanks for the knowledge. You just brought a lot of things. I learned probably four <laughs> or five things just now. And I know a lot of other people will too. I'm so I'm am going to recycle that. I'm going to do that process. I'm going to try it anyway. Keep two thirds, recycle the other third, refresh it this next year. And that'll just be a whole nother, whole nother thing we can follow up on. Great. And keep an eye out for new products too. We are working on a partner product for the refresh. That'll be for bloom. So, Oh, great. Watch out. Yeah. Great. That's awesome. You'll see all of that on our social medias. So Mm -hmm. follow us on Instagram, um, like our posts and hashtag for us, please. We're trying to build a good knowledge base online as well. Thank you, folks. Thanks. Thanks Thanks. for being on. All right.